Welcome to the Today is the Day podcast, where we take a deep dive into popular health topics and empower you to make informed, evidence-based decisions. We offer practical tools and strategies so you can easily integrate what you learn into your everyday habits. And today is the day we're busting some myths about an essential macronutrient that has been ridiculed and exiled for the last 70 years, but is making a killer comeback and in the process, restoring our libidos, nervous systems, and hormonal balance. Talking about fat. We'll be covering what fat actually is when it comes to food, why dietary fat isn't to be feared, how we can start to embrace it for all its essential health benefits, the best sources of fat, and delicious ways to incorporate the good fats into the diet. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us for this rich, creamy, and satiating conversation about fat in the diet. See what I did there? That's like, that's all the things that fat adds to tasty food. I'm Megan Teltner, a nutritionist, two-time best-selling author, and founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. Join me as always is Josh Catalis, the guy I like to share a fat-infused elixir with every morning. Hi, everyone. I'm a clinical nutritionist and functional medicine practitioner with a clinic in downtown Toronto. I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Certification Program and an instructor with the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. Now, this was a really interesting episode to put together in that we needed to be so mindful about our language. Even the word fat can be triggering for people because it's something we've been sort of programmed by society to fear in our diet and loathe on our body, neither of which is helpful when it comes to building health. The stigma around one type of fat has contributed to the stigma around the other and vice versa. Today, we're talking about the fat in our diet, the macronutrient, and really getting into how and why it has little to do with body weight and so much to do with health from a holistic perspective. Okay, Josh, then let's start at the beginning because I think to get most people on board with accepting that certain types and quantities of fat in the diet is vital for health, there's some education needed. So why don't you start with explaining what fat is? Well, the technical name for fat are fatty acids. And another word that's sometimes used for them are lipids. They are one of three macronutrients in food. So when we eat food, we can get our calories from three particular places. Carbohydrates, protein, and fat. Right. And fat is the focus of our discussion today. Now, they have some slight differences and in some cases, some really big differences. For each gram of carbohydrate or protein, you get four calories from that. Right. Four calories per gram of carbohydrates or protein. That's right. For fat, you get nine calories. Yes. By the way, alcohol, seven calories per gram. Just throwing that in there. And another energy source, ketones. Oh. Yeah. But we're not going to get into that today. So we get nine calories per gram of fat. So it packs a pretty good punch. We just have to understand when it's good for us to eat it, which ones to eat, and how to incorporate it into our diet in a healthy way. Because we've gotten into this place where there's so much stigma around fat, there's so much misinformation, and it's one word to describe so many different things. I think before we move any further, because we did talk about the calories per gram, it's really important to remember that calorie count is not a measure of health in any way, shape, or form. There is a philosophy around nutrition. The most basic level is that calories in, calories out will equal a healthy 
body weight or a healthy body, but that's not actually accurate. So when we take it from a culinary nutrition or holistic perspective, what we want is looking at how much nutrition is in each calorie or how much potent nutrients you get per bite of food you're having. When we think about calories from that perspective, or we think about health from that perspective, the calorie count becomes negligible. Yes, you could eat more calories than you need for your body, but the form that those come in is going to be really critical to how they function in the body. Different macronutrients and different qualities of those macronutrients function differently in the body. There's a difference between eating a bag of candy that you buy at the checkout versus a handful of walnuts. A handful of walnuts is going to have more calories potentially than that bag of candy, but you're getting powerful nutrition in every bite and you're getting that valuable fat that's slower to digest and that fuels so many functions in the body. That bag of candy, that's going to digest very quickly and convert to fat on the body in a different way. Oh, that's an interesting point, Megan, that carbohydrates can actually turn into fat on the body. That's right. Which we can get into in a little bit. Let's do it. So with that in mind, we need to sort of reverse the programming that we've received that eating fat is bad or that will cause us to pack on more body fat on the body, which for some people, they do need to do it. For some people, they want less of it. For some people, they want to stay exactly as they are and feel good in their skin. And all of those are acceptable places to be. But it's important to remember that eating fat really has nothing to do with your body fat objectives. That's right. One of the cool things about fat is that it actually makes you feel satiated. Yeah. However, there's a caveat to that. Uh Uh-oh. You have to give your body time to feel the fat in there. And what I mean by that is it takes probably about 20 minutes or so for the messages in your stomach to cause hormonal changes that send messages to your brain that say, hey, I'm pretty satiated, I'm full, I don't really need to eat anymore. I notice, however, that when we have a higher carbohydrate-based meal, we both tend to eat way more, like go back for seconds, or in some cases, I'm pointing at Josh, thirds. Whereas if we do not have any carbs or a very low-carbohydrate-based meal, like say we don't have any grains or starchy vegetables, and it's really focused on protein and non-starchy vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower, salads— we typically feel satiated faster or we don't have that craving to go back for more. That's right. And usually when we do make vegetables like that, whether it's a salad or broccoli, what you just mentioned, we're usually dousing them in fat of some sort to, you know, also get the calories in because those foods take up a lot of physical space in the stomach. And we want to make sure that there are some calories there in our meal, right? Like we're not just filling up on fiber. And coating broccoli and ghee just happens to be extremely delicious. Oh, it's the best. So where did we get into this whole mess with fat? And there's a little bit of a history we need to get into here. I'm not going to dive into it in too much detail. If you really want to learn about the history, there's a great book by Nina Teicholtz, Big Fat Surprise. But she talks about this particular nutritionist by the name of Ansel Keys. Ansel Keys conducted some research that led to misleading interpretations and dissemination of information at a very quick rate that basically told people fat was bad and that fat caused heart disease and that fat, specifically saturated fat, increased cholesterol, which we now know is not the entire story. There was a meta-analysis done in 2015 in the journal Open Heart. And they looked at 
some of the studies that were out at the time to see what were the recommendations actually based on from the heart associations? Were they actually valid recommendations to tell people to stop eating fat? Because just a sidebar here, we have to get our calories from somewhere. Proteins, carbs, or fats. So when we pull back on one, we have to get them from somewhere else. If you're pulling back on fat, where are you going to get it from? Usually carbohydrates. And often we see that in food packaging where they'll blast across the label fat-free. And in order to fill it with calories and replace the function of fat, which is, you know, the creaminess, the satiation, they use different types of processed carbohydrates to mimic that. You can't get around it. You can't cheat Mother Nature in the way a whole food is created. That's right. So this meta-analysis concluded, and I quote, no randomized controlled trial had tested government dietary fat recommendations before their introduction. Recommendations were made for 276 million people following secondary studies of 2,467 males, which reported identical all-cause mortality. Randomized control trial evidence did not support the introduction of dietary fat guidelines. Meaning that there should have been no reason to be telling people to limit their fat. Exactly. That whether you consumed a lot of fat or you didn't, you had the exact same risk of death. So how do you explain, there's lots of health practitioners, doctors out there who will tell their patients or clients, you've got heart disease, you've got whatever it might be, you need to cut down or eliminate fat in your diet. And then people follow these protocols and they actually get positive results. How do you explain that? Well, we can have some short-term benefits by taking out those types of foods. And what ends up happening is people end up taking out a lot of processed foods. This is something we'll dive into, of course, that it's the quality and not necessarily the quantity that plays a big role in how our body processes fat and different types of fat. Right. So often we'll see people take on a seemingly extreme dietary change because they've hit a crisis point in their health and will have a metabolic transformation where they might shed excess body weight or put on the body weight they needed to gain, or they may reduce their inflammation. They may suddenly have like, feel like they've had the stuffing taken out of their head and they can think clearly again and they feel like it is miraculous. And so perhaps eating a very specific and oftentimes they're told in conventional dietary guidelines for sure to get off all fats. But can that be sustained? Can you have longevity if you don't have fat coming in, which is the primary fuel source for pain? Right. Let's just look at a ridiculous example because I love... I love your ridiculous (laughs) examples and I have no idea what's coming. So say someone goes to the doctor, they have heart disease, and they've been told, stop eating two Big Macs a day. Right. And start eating more salads. Yeah. So they take out the Big Macs and they start to eat more salads. And instead of putting a good fat dressing on it. They have like a low fat or a no fat dressing and they start to feel good. Well, we're going, as you said, from one extreme to another extreme. And yes, we're eliminating some of the really bad stuff, but we're still not capturing a balanced diet. And this is another big issue with a lot of the research out there is that they're oftentimes comparing people on the standard American diet eating not such good fats. All the time. All the time and lots of them to people that might be like vegetarian or vegan. And you don't really get a a fair comparison because we, Megan and I, are always into quality, not necessarily quantity, right? So you can have two different burgers. You could have the Big Mac with cheese from McDonald's or you could have 
a homemade burger on a gluten-free bun with some vegetables that's made out of grass-fed beef. Very big difference there. And so a big thing to keep in mind with all of what we're talking about is really, and what Josh and I always focus on is moderation. So how do we create a healthful diet that includes fat in moderate amounts, the good quality stuff, but can also be sustained? We want to sustain health long-term. And sometimes, yes, you do need to take on a more dramatic preliminary cleanse period, we could call it, or dietary transition if you're in a crisis state. But ultimately, what we're talking about here is how do we create long-term beneficial dietary habits that, you know, allow a little shifting and shimming. You know, we don't want to be so strict and so regimented that affects quality of life and socializing. But day-to-day, these are really good practices to take into account. Absolutely. Before we move any further, let's talk about the three different types of fat and how their structure is different because they're saturated, monounsaturated, and polyunsaturated. So let's discuss the structure of each and then we'll go back and talk about each one specifically. Okay. We have a full picture of the cocktail of fats available to us. When it comes to saturated fat, you can think about it being made up of carbons, which is like beads on a necklace. Okay. And there's four sides to each bead. Got it. When each of those four sides are connected to another molecule, Mm -hmm. like a hydrogen or a carbon, that means it's saturated. Right. Okay. On each side. Yep. Each side is connected to another component. That's right. There's nothing free or movable. But you can take one of those sides and connect it to the same carbon next door, Mm -hmm. right? Almost like I was holding both of your hands, Megan, instead of one hand. Yeah. And that means it's unsaturated because one of the sides of that carbon does not have a bond on it. Right. And that results in a double bond with another carbon. Mm -hmm. If there's one double bond that's unsaturated, that's a monounsaturated fat. And if there's multiple, that's a polyunsaturated fat. If we want to take it to the culinary world to picture this, saturated fats like, say, butter, which is solid at room temperature. A monounsaturated fat is a little more liquidy like olive oil, but you know if you put olive oil in the fridge, it's going to get solid. And a polyunsaturated, which has the most double bonds, is the most fluid, like a flax oil, where even if you put it in the freezer, it's not going to freeze solid. So that's the culinary way you can picture how these bonds work. That's right. And these double bonds have different properties to them. Right. So when there's less of those double bonds, right, it's more saturated, like ghee that you mentioned, or butter, or lard, or coconut oil, they're more stable and they're less affected by heat, light, and oxygen. They're less likely to oxidize. Exactly. Whereas the ones with more of those double bonds, safflower oil, sunflower oil, flax oil, are much less stable and have to be treated with a lot more respect and can't be put at high heats and need to be kept in in closed bottles and in the cold. So let's go back to saturated fat now. And let's discuss. So saturated fat examples include ghee, butter, coconut oil, lard, tallow. These are the ones that are very heat stable. They're great for high heat cooking. Avocado oil can also be in there, but it's a bit of a funny one because it doesn't really go solid. So it's a bit of an exception. So these ones are the ones that are more suited to higher heat cooking. They get stored on the shelf. Still optimally, you're buying them in glass, dark glass. But these have specific health benefits that we need. And if you eliminate all saturated fat, you could be missing out on some of these health benefits. That's right. Now, we did dive into the chemistry once. I have to do it one more time. Go for it. Because this one's a bit more simple. There's different lengths to the saturated fat. 
Right. There's ones that have upwards of 20 carbons and there's ones that are four carbons long. So again, we vilified saturated fat many years ago, which still remains a little bit to this day, but there's different ones for different purposes and they're used differently in the body. So for example, ghee has something in it, also butter called butyric acid, and that's like four carbons long and it's used really efficiently as energy in the body. Because it's small, it's easy to transport, it's easy to digest, we can get it into the cells. What's an example of a long-chain carbon fat, saturated fat? Well, that we find more in animal foods like lard and tallow, beef, you know, chicken, turkey, have saturated fats that are more than 20 carbons long. So are you saying those aren't good for you? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that they are a little bit less efficiently used in the body, especially if you've got some metabolic issues, but they can still be used as energy, right? It's all usable. They just digest a little bit differently. We have to package them up in what are called chylomicrons and move them through the lymph first before being used in our cells. And they also need help to get into our cells. It's called the carnitine shuttle. Not going to get into it today. But because they're long, they need an escort to be burned properly. So they're a little bit more difficult to use sometimes. So the next set of fats, actually, before we move on, we should talk about coconut oil and MCTs or medium chain triglycerides because MCTs is a really popular supplement. Yeah. So in foods, fats often occur in triglyceride form. So they've got a glycerol backbone, Mm -hmm. which holds them all together. And then there's three fats that come off of that, almost like a fork. Right. Okay. That's why they're called tri three glycerides. And there's a different fat in each one of those spots. But in coconut oil, most of them are medium chain, meaning that the carbons are like anywhere from eight to 12 carbons long. And they have a particularly fantastic role in the body where they can just, again, be digested really easily and be used as energy really efficiently. One of the MCTs that has been given a lot of attention is caprylic acid, which has a really high propensity to be used as a ketone or to be converted into a ketone. So coconut oil, just to give you a bit of the breakdown, has these MCTs in it, but you can make MCT oil from the coconut oil, which purifies these and isolates them a little bit more. And then there's products like Brain Octane by Bulletproof that will take the one specific fat, caprylic acid, and purify that even more. And this processing of it is why I consider that a supplement and not a food. And Josh sometimes takes it. I'm not a fan. Yes, in certain contexts, it definitely plays a role. Let's move on to the monounsaturated fats. These are things like olive oil, where they're good at medium heat cooking. We don't do a lot of cooking with olive oil, but it has its own set of heart-supportive health benefits. The Mediterranean diet is largely based around the benefits of olives and olive oil. Well, the beautiful part about olive oil is, first of all, yes, it has monounsaturated fats in there, which we do use in the body. Uh, We could use it as energy. But there's also other really great phytonutrients in the olives and in the olive oil. So we have to also look past just the fat structure and again, look at food holistically and understand that these foods offer a whole bunch of other great phytonutrients. Good point. Like we forgot to mention ghee and and butter and vitamin K too for the dentals, the teeth. Absolutely. All right. And then we have the polyunsaturated fats, which I think is one of the most health-washed fats, not because there's not good versions, but because of label claims, which we'll get to. So as Josh mentioned earlier, these are the ones with the most double bonds. They're the most fluid, but they're also the ones most likely to be oxidized or be denatured by heat, light, and oxygen. 
So what we often see on food packaging is they'll say now made with polyunsaturated fats. But if this is something that's been baked or it's a shelf-stable product, you're dealing with these oxidized fats that no longer have the brain health and the cell health that a properly stored or properly packaged whole cold-pressed polyunsaturated fat would. So when we look at polyunsaturates, we want to focus on things like flax seeds, flax oil, chia seeds, chia oil, hemp seeds, hemp oil, walnuts, a lot of the nuts and seeds. But as soon as you go to bake those or use oils derived from them like safflower and sunflower and canola oil, you're getting these denatured polyunsaturates, which has the opposite benefit. It can be more harmful to the body, the circulation system, the arteries, the brain. And so those are the ones we really want to avoid. Here's where we take a little break in today's conversation for a different kind of culinary nutrition inspiration. This time it's coming from longtime friends and culinary nutrition expert program graduates, Candy Haas and Rita Childers. Candy took the program in 2014 and Rita was so inspired by Candy's personal transformation that she followed suit graduating in 2015. They then got to work creating their company Core and Rind and their flagship product, Cashew Cheesy Sauce. I'll let them tell you the story. First, here's Candy. I'm Candy Haas, and I'm a proud 2014 graduate of the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. I came from a background of not knowing how to cook like anything. I was so hungry to learn how to nourish myself and how to feel good again. I soon decided to make what turned out to be the best decision I could have ever made for my health and my life, and that was to take the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. Each week, I was super excited to dive into the delicious, diverse, and nourishing recipes. I was blown away by the knowledge I was gaining and by how much support was given by Megan and her tribe. After the program, I felt a new confidence, a new excitement about life. The Culinary Nutrition Expert Program inspired me and longtime friend and now business partner Rita to come together and start a company called Core and Rind. Together, we worked diligently for over a year to create a deliciously creamy and dairy-free cashew cheesy sauce. It's not only clean label and shelf stable, but totally delicious and versatile. It's a one of a kind. Without our CNE training, this simply would not have been possible. We have so much gratitude for Megan for inspiring us to take that leap and start a flourishing business of our own. Today truly is the day. Now let's hear from Rita. I'm Rita Childers and I'm a 2015 graduate of the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. This program changed my life in so many positive ways. For me, it opened up a new way of thinking about health. I was sure that there was one diet for everyone, and Megan and Josh brought new light to this. I was opened up to a new world of healthy foods, herbal remedies, and ways of eating. The program also fed my joy of cooking by allowing me to make new and nourishing recipes every week. From the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program, I was inspired to start a business, Core and Rind, with my friend and fellow CNE Candy. We create healthier packaged foods to reach people that are struggling with dietary changes. We spent over a year developing our cashew cheesy sauce, making it delicious without any chemical additives or preservatives. And I know that we couldn't have created this without the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. Megan and Josh are the best at what they do and I cannot recommend this program enough. 
Having personally and joyfully tried their cashew cheesy sauce, I can attest that it is delicious. It's currently available in stores across the US and on their website at corinrind.com. Head on over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast and click on this episode for a direct link plus some extra special episode bonus material. Though our course is completely online, once in a while, every few years, we have a live event. Our last one was in 2016 and Candy and Rita both came to Toronto and I had the absolute pleasure of getting to know them both. And they are as delightful as they sound. And I'm so thrilled for the success they're having with this delicious product. My son eats it on everything. If you like the idea of starting your own business in the culinary nutrition field, but aren't sure where to start, why don't you consider joining us in September for the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program? Josh and I are the lead instructors and you have complete support from start to finish with a team of dedicated program coaches. We'd be honored to have you join us. Now, if you want to learn more about the details of the program, we have a monthly program information session and a recording is available if you can't make it live. Head on over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash info session and RSVP to save your seat. Now, Let's get back to today's episode. Now it's time for another really important sidebar, Megan. Okay. We have to also be reminded that there's two and only two what are called essential fats. Okay. Sidebar on the EFAs. Yes. This means that we have to get these from the diet. We can't make them in the body. So we can make monounsaturated fats in the body. We can make saturated fats in the body. We can even make some polyunsaturated fats, but we have to get two essential fats from the diet, alpha-linoleic acid, which is an omega-6, and alpha-linolenic acid, which is an omega-3. And just to throw a little bit of chemistry in there quickly, is they're called omega-3 and omega-6 because the first double bond is at the third carbon or the sixth carbon. And that's why they're given those names. But these fats, once we get those in our diet, we can make the other fats from them and we can create everything we need for our body to survive. If you're on a fat-free diet, can you manufacture all the other fats if you're only supplementing with threes and sixes? Technically, yes, but it's still quite metabolically draining. So we still want a variety of fats because they are used in different ways. And those foods have other nutrients in them, which we're not really diving into in too much detail here. But we um, definitely want to make sure we're at least getting what we need of the omega-3 and omega-6 fats. For our listeners, if you want a chart of all of this, you want to see what we've just spoken about, head over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast. And in the resources section, when you click on this episode, there's a full guide to fats and the best fats for different cooking applications. And that'll be a really useful guide to sort of have a visual that goes along with what we're talking about. Now, here's the kicker, something to just tie the polyunsaturated fat discussion with a bow. We need omega-3s to omega-6, or let me flip that around, omega-6 to omega-3s in about a 4 to 1, 3 to 1 ratio for optimal health. So four parts omega-6 to one part omega-3 for optimal health. That's right. The big problem is that most people... Let's call it an opportunity. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The big opportunity or challenge is that most people are not getting enough omega-3s and they're getting too much omega-6s. So the opportunity is that we can actually focus on getting better quality omega-3s and less poor quality omega-6s, which opens up so much 
opportunity to rebalance just by making a few different dietary choices. Yeah, that was one factor, but there's two things to consider here. One is that people are getting too much omega-6 and the omega-6 that they are getting is damaged. What happens then in the body when you're getting too much omega-6 and not enough omega-3 or you're getting poor quality omega-6 or poor quality saturated fat or poor quality polyunsaturates in general? What does that do to the body? Well, it can cause quite a bit of damage and it sends a signal to the immune system that there's a molecule here that it has to address. So eating denatured fats can negatively impact the immune system. That's correct. And can also thereby increase inflammation in the body. That is also correct. Trigger an inflammatory response. It can also affect brain health and nervous system health because you're not getting those quality fats. You're getting the oxidized varieties that have been denatured. So you're not getting the primary fuel source. And that could then contribute to a whole bunch of mental health challenges, low libido, hormonal imbalance, and that domino effect continues. Absolutely. These fats are important for every single cell in the body. They make up our phospholipid bilayer. That's the membrane that encircles every single cell. And our cells communicate using those membranes. There's like doors all over them. And the better the quality of that membrane is, the better the communication. Let's look at one example. There's an omega-3, the alpha-linolenic acid, that eventually gets converted into DHA. DHA can also be found in fish. Yep. Already converted. But DHA makes up a huge part of our brain. 8% of our brain at dry weight is DHA. And they've actually looked at DHA in breast milk of women and the IQ of those offspring. And there's a direct correlation with the amount of DHA when they're breastfeeding and the IQ of those kids at eight years old. Wow. The ones with the highest DHA in the breast milk had the highest IQ at eight years old. So it's critical for the brain. But just before we get into all the health benefits of these things and how they can really help us, one of the biggest issues also with a lot of the fats on the shelf and in the supermarket is that they're highly processed. So all the nutrition and all the good stuff is taken out. And basically you start with the raw material, the nuts, the seeds, they get expeller pressed or solvent extracted. Then you get a crude oil. They degum, refine, neutralize, and bleach them. They filter that. They refine and bleach it again. They deodorize it because at that point, the oil smells really bad. They can't put it on the shelf. They refine, bleach it, and deodorize it again. And then we can get some supermarket oil that's on the shelf that just sits there for weeks and months and never spoils. In clear plastic bottles. In clear plastic bottles, which is a whole other issue because those leach microplastics into your oil. So you mentioned taking, starting with seeds and nuts to make these oils. Mm -hmm. You didn't mention vegetables. I did not. So why do we see products on the shelf called vegetable oil? There is no vegetable that makes oils. And what we often have with a bottle of vegetable oil is a combination of different types of oils. There can be a palm oil. And we know that there's issues with palm oil harvesting, what it's doing to the Amazon rainforests. Orangutan habitats is a huge, huge issue environmentally and ethically. And there's also cottonseed oil, which again, not a food, and is one of the most pesticide-laden crops in America. So we're now dealing with either a ecosystem disaster or a chemical disaster, which is also an ecosystem issue. But so we're eating these processed, highly processed oils that are loaded with chemicals. And ultimately, vegetables don't make oil. What you want to look for when you're choosing your oils is you'll see terms like virgin, extra virgin, cold pressed. So the least refined possible. 
Optimally, they're going to be organic because all these chemicals in our environment have an affinity for lipids, for fats. And so if you're going to choose anything to be organic, you want it to be the fattest rich foods that you're consuming. It's sort of a, a baseline to go with. And then optimally, they're stored in glass and in dark glass so that you're they're being protected from light, from oxygen. You're not getting those plastic residues. And if they are the polyunsaturates, you're going to be storing those in the fridge because those are the most sensitive to heat. So that's a very basic guideline to go with. And again, we have that chart for you over at culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast. And ultimately what we want to remember is that often the processed oils are used in what we might call, quote, diet foods. But gram for gram, fat is fat. So whether it comes from coconuts or cows or olives or chemistry experiments or chemical Latin genetically modified soy and cotton crops, it's all fat. So really what you want to do is get the best quality in so that you can get the maximum health benefit from the fats you're consuming. And I think this is a great segue into the roles fat plays in the body and the health benefits. Right. And the body is smart, but it's not that smart. So it'll use what fats come in to build certain tissues. Right. So if you're eating trans fats, it can't say, oh, those are trans fats. I don't want to put those up in the brain because the brain's really important it's going to just incorporate those into your cells and then you're going to need to get the next generation of food to have those good fats to replace those fats. Right. So we're changing the oil here, people. We're doing an oil change exactly. on, our, on our most valued machinery. Exactly. And one of our most valuable pieces of machinery is our brain. Yeah. As I mentioned, DHA makes a big part of it, but our brain is made up mostly of fat. And another actual ingredient that's mostly made up of is cholesterol. Right. Which kind of falls in the fat category. It's a fatty-like substance. But cholesterol is critical for protecting our cells, for increasing and decreasing membrane fluidity. It actually acts as an antioxidant in the brain. And we also see that people who go on statins have a higher risk of depression, actually suicide, because that's artificially lowering the cholesterol. Right. So... We need fat for the brain. We need those good fats to actually build the brain. The brain also loves to use fat as fuel. Mm-hmm. It needs glucose, yeah, but it also really prefers fat. Right. So Alzheimer's disease has been called type 3 diabetes, and that's because when people really mess with their blood sugar for a lifetime and have high blood sugar a lot, it's very damaging to the brain. Right, causing that inflammation in the brain. Exactly. One thing that that is worth noting is that for so long, it was like, don't eat the egg yolk, egg white omelets, all that egg white stuff, which you so you're getting the protein without the fat. And there was, and I'm not saying it's directly associated with the egg white, egg yolk situation, but in the low fat diet, you can be more susceptible to issues of depression, anxiety, insomnia. And the same, and this is critical because Josh talked about DHA and breastfeeding, but the same is so critical for pregnant people and nourishing newborns if you are breastfeeding to make sure you're getting those quality fats in because you're not just needing to nourish your brain, but you're building another brain. And that's hypercritical. Sure is, Megan. Now, another great thing about fat, which we alluded to earlier in our discussion, is that it takes a little bit longer to digest and it doesn't spike blood sugar. It's a really good slow energy source. And the analogy I give my clients when I talk about the main macronutrients, carbs, fats, and proteins as energy sources is carbs is like putting in the kindling. Mm -hmm. It's like getting that fire started. It burns up really hot and really bright very quickly, but then it's out. 
Whereas fat and protein are like putting in that big piece of oak into the fire that burns really hot and really long and really sustained. It's not a light show that you can really enjoy, right? It's not like the fireworks of kindling, but it sustains you and keeps you nice and satiated. Yeah. And feeling balanced. Like, you know, when you've had a sugar spike or you're experiencing a sugar crash, you know how that feels. We can see it when our children are experiencing it. And it doesn't feel good. It's not nice to be around someone in that zone, but it's even harder for the person experiencing it. And you can easily get into the cycle. And we have a whole episode on blood sugar balance and, and stabilization. But getting off that Ferris wheel, a roller coaster maybe is a better, better ride at the fair to talk about. But getting off that cycle can, as a complete, I don't know if it'd be a secondary benefit or a primary benefit, but it can completely stabilize your mood. I think one of the traps people fall into and another reason why fat has given a bad rap is because if you're doing that transition and you're eating a lot of carbs, like you can throw back a box of crackers really easily, right? Yep. But when you start to move into more fat-rich diet that's more dense, you don't have to have as much quantity. Like you can probably get a similar amount of calories from eating two nut balls, you know, right. that are made with like coconut oil and walnuts and nuts and seeds and lots of good stuff that way. So it's a bit of a transition in terms of how you're eating. Right. And skin health. So we have a whole episode at the time. I, I'd have no clue right now whether it's coming before or after this one. So it might already be there. If not, stay tuned. It's coming. But fat is critical for our skin. We have a lipid layer that coats our entire body, which basically keeps us from spilling out. It keeps us waterproof. And the quality of fat that we eat is going to directly affect our complexion and the glow in our skin and the smoothness and avoiding that that inflammatory dermatitis and acne and all of that. And it, again, it can seem counterintuitive that if you feel like you're having oily skin and oily breakouts to eliminate the oil from the diet, but that's not actually how the equation works. And so fat is a fundamental part of feeling and looking well. That's right, Megan. And we have about a 1,000 to 1 ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 in our skin. And many people are not getting any undestroyed omega-6s. Yeah. Right? Like even if you take your diet and you're eating organic corn chips or something and you put it in like some database online, it's going to say you're getting quite a few omega-6s. But all those omega-6s used to make those corn chips are destroyed. Yeah. So we always have to make sure we're getting some good raw, undestroyed omega-6s and omega-3s from the nut seeds and items we have spoken about. And that brings us to... My favorite part! Some recipes by Megan Telpner, culinary <laughs> nutritionist extraordinaire. Delicious recipes is what the heading says in our notes, Josh. Delicious recipes. One of my favorite go-tos is an elixir with ghee. You all know this. If you've been joining the Live from the Kitchen series this season, which you should, the very first session was all about elixirs. And what it is is mixing different types of herbs with a fat to make a really satiating, brain-fueling morning drink or mid-afternoon pickup. I use ghee, a clarified butter that's had the dairy sugars and proteins removed, so it's the pure fat. You could also do this with coconut oil if you're not eating ghee, but that's a great way to start the day. 
another one of my favorites, and this is a great way to get that healthy balance of raw omega-3, omega-6 that Josh talked about, is with a walnut spread. Again, I made this in the Live from the Kitchen series, but it's almost like a hummus recipe, but you're replacing the chickpeas with soaked walnuts. So walnuts, olive oil or flax oil, a little bit of lemon juice, some garlic, some sea salt, and I love mixing in bonus herbs like cilantro and parsley, chopping that up and putting it in. This can be spread on crackers, used on veggies, or as Kelsey, who's on my team, enjoys it by the spoonful. Can I interject for a moment? Yeah. You know, like sometimes there's really healthy foods yeah. that you don't necessarily like in all forms, right? I know. You don't love walnuts. Yeah, I don't love a handful of walnuts, but I know how good they are. So like a couple other ways I love to eat them is one in your spread. Yeah. That's a great usage of them. So as soon as you grind those up, they're delicious. Actually, walnut butter is really good too. Is it? It's not bitter? Oh, it's so good. Interesting. Yeah. And sometimes I'll throw a few walnuts in a smoothie, which I, is a really great way to I do. actually have a smoothie recipe in the End Diet Cookbook that uses walnuts with some banana, cinnamon, like some different chai-inspired spices, cinnamon, cardamom, a little bit of clove, almond milk, and that, those walnuts and all those other things kind of make the taste of the walnuts go away if you don't love them. My dad happens to be allergic to bananas and walnuts, so we don't... This, is, this isn't one of his favorites. <laughs> and, and what do walnuts look like? They look like brains. And they're really good for the brains. They're super high in omega-3. Yeah. Another one is salmon. So you want to be mindful when buying all fish, and we have a resource for you associated with this post, but a cold water fish is going to have more omega-3s because they basically have more fat to keep them warm in cold water. So salmon is a good option. We just bake it. I'll put a mix of some Dijon mustard, a little bit of maple syrup, a little bit of miso and tamari and paint that on the fish and bake it. And it's delicious. Fish roe, which is a less fancy word for caviar, is another incredible source of these brain-fueling fats. For those of you with little ones, before they get selective, get in that fish roe. And a lot of babies actually love them because they kind of pop in their mouth and they're small and low choking hazard. Once they're able to chew, you want to make sure they can chew. So that's a really great option. And fish roe is an interesting food because it has the DHA bound to a special phospholipid that helps to transport it into the brain. So there's a certain subset of the population that has a genetic mutation called the ApoE4 genetic mutation that predisposes them or puts them at higher risk for Alzheimer's disease. And they have a really tough time actually getting DHA into the brain, even if they take it in a supplement form. So when they're consuming it in salmon and salmon roe or fish eggs, even krill or krill oil, it's in that form that has a direct pathway into the brain. Interesting. Bone marrow is another one. And this can make some people feel a little bit icky because it's, you know, you're seeing the bones of the animal, but, you know, we're, if you're going to eat animal foods, we recommend eating all the parts. But roasting bone marrow, and you can take that marrow out and it's really rich and fatty. And this was another favorite of our sons when he was really little. But you can spread that on your favorite gluten-free toast. You can stir that into a brown rice. You can mix it into things if you want to that creates this really rich sea shading whatever. It's a good one. Let's have bone marrow tonight. Okay. You know what? Bone marrow is critical for the immune system, right? It's where a lot of our immune cells are born. Inside the bones. Exactly. So think about the nutrition there. Right. It's a powerful one. The next, and this is an easy one to start doing ASAP, meaning as soon as possible, please stop buying processed salad dressings. We have to make our own salad dressing. That should be like an absolute non-negotiable. If you only take one thing from this episode, make your own salad dressing. And it's a great way to bring in true, undoctored, good quality, 
omega-3 and omega-6 fats. So looking at flax oil as the base or hemp seed oil or chia oil or walnut oil, an oil that gets stored in the fridge is a great one to choose for salad dressings and then mix in whatever you like. Again, in the End Diet Cookbook, there's tons of salad dressings. We've got some references to go with this podcast episode, but I love a basic dressing of flax oil, a little bit of tahini, which is ground sesame, garlic, lemon juice, a little bit of cider vinegar and some salt to taste, and that can basically go on everything. And when you bring home a bag of your greens... Oh, from my farm at the office? Exactly. My indoor farm? Your indoor farm. I mean, those greens are so flavorful. You barely even need a complex dressing. No, I just use flax oil and apple cider vinegar and it's delish. So good. Let's have that with our dinner too. Okay. We're done. We're done here. Popcorn. I say take that popcorn and douse it in coconut oil. We also love the cultured butter from our friends at Cultured. Uh, You can also do this with ghee or butter, but douse that popcorn. It is so good that way. We also love to make a little mix. And we had a sample class of this with my everyday culinary nutrition, making a little mix of nutritional yeast and hemp seeds. You can actually grind that together and it's almost like a cheese topping. Yeah. And make sure when you do cook the popcorn that you're doing it in a good oil that can handle the heat like coconut oil. Good point and not vegetable oil. Yeah. I mean, the popcorns that they're selling at the movie theaters. I don't even think they use real butter on that stuff. No, they, you don't it's think? Like they definitely don't. They're cutting it with something, right? Probably vegetable oils. Olive pate. So this is another great way to get these rich olives in. So olives on their own are delicious. Warming olives in a pan and serving them warm and because the, all the fat, they retain that heat. So that's like a delicious appetizer. And again, for little ones, our son loves olives. And I'm a huge advocate of giving your kids strong taste so they get accustomed to this early. And again, in the Undyke Cookbook, there's a recipe for an olive pate that also includes sun-dried tomatoes, olive oil, and capers. And that's a delicious one to serve on endive, which is like lettuce, long lettuce. You can put it wrapped with some bib lettuce on crackers with veggies, however you want to have it. And last, definitely not least, is a good guacamole. And we have a full roundup on the blog at Academy of Culinary Nutrition of different types of guacamoles. But I like to make mine with avocados, cilantro, lime, salt, some chopped tomato, and a little bit of red onion. Again, our child and the larger child sitting beside me, he's not a child, but we'll eat this by the spoonful. We can put it on toast. We can put it on curry bowls. Like we put guacamole or sliced avocado, if you want to keep it simple, on just about everything. There are so many delicious ways to introduce fat into the diet. And for a lot of people, doing so feels very liberating. And I hope that in outlining all the benefits of fat that we've done today, you feel freed of counting those calories, looking at those fat grams, and instead focusing on the quality of the fat you're eating, getting it in. And you might just find that your meals are more delicious. You feel more satiated. Your brain starts to function better. Your body starts to feel better. You recover more easily. And it's all just benefit from there. Amen, Megan. (laughs) So thank you everyone so much for joining us once again. We have loads of resources and links to invite you to start bringing some brain and body fueling fats into the diet, including a complete guide to making your own ghee. Please head over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast to get access to all of the additional information. If you're listening to this episode and thinking, I love all of this, I want to know it all. Well then, get started with a deeper dive. The Culinary Nutrition Expert Program is the perfect place to start. This program teaches nutrition through the practical application in the kitchen. 
whole, unprocessed food is the primary tool for our teaching and we're inclusive of all dietary philosophies. It's a health and life changer. Learn more at culinarynutrition.com forward slash program. Knowledge is important, but applying it is where the power is. As I always say, the best way to get started is to get started. Take what you've learned and start applying it in your life. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you again next time.